Van Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Ben Ennis. It's Blake Murphy. It's Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. And Adnan, should every National Hockey League general manager be forced into only one-year contract terms so that we get a, every deadline's just like this one with, with the Leafs and Kyle Dubas? <laughs> well, it was funny. Yesterday I was on set with Stu Grimson, Steve Conroy, Connie, longtime defenseman in the 80s from Scarborough. Stu, fellow Canadian, of course, the Grim Reaper from Vancouver. And they kept talking about all the Leafs moves that they've made. They go, I think they've got like nine defensemen now. Like, I know Sandine's gone. I know Munson's not coming back. And I said, fellas, what does Kyle Dubas care? He's going to be out of a job if they don't win. Are you kidding me? Everyone knows that. Dubas knows his job's on the line. Sheldon Keefe knows his job's on the line. So go ahead. Take all my draft picks. I couldn't care less. The Leafs have to beat the Lightning in the first round, and that's why he's made all these moves. Listen, I love the fact he's beefing up his defense. I think we can all agree the O'Reilly move obviously adds character and leadership and some scoring punch, Achari as well. But your overriding point is accurate, Ben. Not every GM will be doing this except for the fact his job's on the line. So, of course, Kyle's got to do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it does harken back to 2015 and Alex Anthopoulos, and, and maybe I'm I, nothing is popping to mind, so I, I'm choosing to ignore it from, from this uh, – this conversation, but it it does feel like there's maybe a lesson to be learned here. And yeah, we don't know what the Leafs are going to do in the postseason, but it does look like on paper they're uh, as good a challenge to the Tampa Bay Lightning as they've ever been. A team that they went seven games against a season ago, including an overtime game with a chance to close it out in game six. But it seems like the lesson might be just be more aggressive, general managers, because yeah, okay, Alex Anthopoulos gave up some pieces that could have turned into something in 2015. None of them did. And it was funny. You rejuvenated baseball in this city. Shouldn't general managers always be this aggressive at the deadline? Is that the lesson to be learned? I think so. You've got to have a feel. You've got to read the room. And the Leafs have had, what is it, seven first-round playoff exits? Haven't been out of the first round since 2004. I mean, that is abysmal considering how much that city loves hockey and appreciates the team and supports them. So eventually you go, hey, enough's enough. We'll sell everything in the kitchen sink just to finally get a contender. And you're right in mentioning Anthopoulos. Remember when Shapiro and Atkins took over the story was they chastised the room. How dare you guys give up all these picks? We have to replenish now. Who cares? I remember Jeff Hoffman, everyone telling me, oh, my God, Hoffman's a stud. Nothing. <laughs> Never panned out with the Rockies. That's no. why they're prospects. Sometimes they work. Sometimes it's nothing. Yeah, and uh, no offense to Jeff Hoffman, was also almost traded for a general manager, which would have been a bad move at the time. Um, but yeah, no, uh, shout out to, to, to going nuts um, at, at trade deadline season. So I, I mentioned the fact they went to seven games against Tampa last season, still lost. I mean, went to overtime in game six, lost that game as well. Man, you, you put these rosters up, you know, belly to belly outside of the crease, which is, you know, kind of important when it comes to, to the National Hockey League and winning hockey games, having a good goaltender. But, like, if, if the Leafs aren't able to get over the hump of, of winning a first-round series against a team, I get it, that's gone to three straight finals and won a couple there. Um, I, I, are we, we back? Like, it's pretty definitive that this team is cursed, I think. Well, that was my thought, Ben. I said, well, what if, to your point, what if it's another hard-fought, incredible series? What if... Game six is lost, as you said, in overtime again. What if game seven's a, a hard-fought game that just goes the other way, right? Tampa's got home ice, and hey, Emily Arena, the crowd's roaring, and maybe a penalty or two go the wrong way, and the Leafs lose. Like, what if there isn't changes? And then I said to myself, no, no, there has to be changes. Like, at this point, it's it, honestly, it is put up or shut up. You've got to win a round, or Dubas and Keith, 
I think have to walk the plank or, or maybe if they keep their jobs, fine, my spouse, you should get fired, but then something of the core has to go, right? Like I, we did this a year ago. You and I said, okay, which of the guys are going to go? And nobody went. So they go, okay, well now somebody has to go. I don't care if it's Martyr, Nealander, whomever, Tavares, like you can't just keep, right? There was Einstein's quote, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But I do think it depends how it plays out because you're right. You could say your face in the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is literally the best team in the sport any given night. Now, this year, I think Boston's the best team in the Eastern Conference. I think the Devils, I love the Timo Meyer acquisition. Everywhere I live, of course, is going nuts with the Rangers getting Patty Kane and Tarasenko. But the Lightning are still the Lightning. But here's where I think it's going to be particularly an indictment of Dubas is the goaltending. Because if the Leafs lose and Samson doesn't perform well, they're going to go, Hey, they took a chance. They had Campbell. They said, you know what? We'll take a flyer, a Matt Murray and Samson off. And guess what? Those guys weren't good enough. Vasilevsky outshot him theoretically. And that's what it's going to end up being on Leaf management because that, I think, will be the area. Again, like imagine if Samson outplays Vasilevsky, the Leafs win. No? Like, I mean, the, their offense is loaded. Obviously, they've beefed up their defense. But if the Lightning win, you could see Vasilevsky stealing a game and, and guys at Brayden Point was going to score 40 goals this year, really standing up the way they normally do. The margins are so slim, especially in the Eastern Conference, as just about everyone's loaded up, uh, including the Ottawa Senators, by the way, who uh, just traded for Jacob Chikrin, which we'll uh, get into uh, in a little bit as details uh, come down. The Sens themselves uh, putting it out there. So uh, even the bad teams in the East wow. are, are getting better here. Um, but we look across... Tonight, uh, the Leafs playing against the Edmonton Oilers, who have followed kind of a similar narrative that you have this generational group of talent and the best player we've seen since. I mean, you were tweeting about the War of the Roses, the Danny DeVito directorial uh, <laughs> masterpiece the other day. The last time someone led the league in goals, assists, and points was the year that that came out. At, and that's how long well, ago yeah. uh, it was since someone's done what Connor McDavid's doing here. Uh, you look across, and yes, the Oilers have gone further in the playoffs, but they've also missed the playoffs a couple times. Uh, they've gone through uh, several coaches. I believe McDavid's on his fourth coach now. Um, what level of pressure do you see being on the Oilers? Is it the same as the pressure that Kyle Dubas is facing here and the Toronto Maple Leafs are facing here ahead of Austin Matthews extension? Uh, I think absolutely Blake it's massive because even a year ago people were saying you know what if they don't start to do a little bit better you know everyone's gonna say bro what are you staying at Edmonton for like eventually it's gonna get frustrating and he's gonna want out so I think it's massive pressure right now now granted Edmonton last year beat the Flames in that battle of Alberta was able to make a little bit of a run. So I, I don't think it's as critical, but there is something to be said for you can't be a team which is supposed to be on the cusp and have this transcendent superstar who might be the sixth player ever to score 150 points. And as you mentioned, dominating every major statistical category, like score 60 goals, all the rest of it. You can't waste that, right? You can't have that languishing forever. Like it's, it's amazing how young McDavid is and yet he's so accomplished which is why he's in the name with Gretzky and Crosby and Lemieux and all the rest of it. But I, I agree with I think the pressure is on that team. And I think a lot of people feel like Edmonton is capable of being good. I think in the past you'd say, hey, it's just McDavid and Drysdale. Honestly, they don't have a whole lot. But now you can make an argument the likes of Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Evander Kane that the sporting cast has gotten strong over time, that Campbell's bounced back, Skinner's an option in goal. So, yeah, I think the Oilers have high aspirations. I, I don't think this is a team where you say – Eh, another two-horse race. You go, no, no. They won around a year ago. They're looking to improve upon that and take advantage of McDavid's sublime talents. I know we were talking earlier about potentially Eric Carlson going to Edmonton. 
That's probably not going to happen. But as I said to you guys before, imagine that three on three mm. of Drysdale, McDavid, and Carlson would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Hey, here's what I would say about the the the. Mc- what was? Oh my goodness, that was. Was that a child? Honestly, your little guy sounds like a fire alarm. That was. I was very worried for you. Yeah, honestly, I thought I thought you might have to step outside. All right, um, no worries. Uh, no, here's what I would say about the McDavid and and Matthews eras in both Edmonton and and Toronto. Despite the fact the the Oilers have won three series with Connor McDavid, including reaching a Western Conference final a, a season ago. And, yeah, the Battle of Alberta was not exactly a goaltending display. But, yeah, okay, they won. And they, they got absolutely tuned up by the eventual Stanley Cup champions in the Western final as they swept them in four games. They've also missed the playoffs a couple of times with Connor McDavid. The Maple Leafs have never missed the playoffs with Austin Matthews, and they play in, in the superior division in which, you know, Stanley Cup finalists three straight years reside. Save for the one year against the Montreal Canadiens, which you can't really slough off. But it was pretty bizarre season, pretty bizarre life we we led during uh, the pandemic there, obviously, and then losing your captain in game one of that series against the Montreal Canadiens. Outside of that, there haven't been no series in which the Maple Leafs have been expected to win, even though the like play-in series against the Jackets, I think they were tied on points going into that five-game series. I would argue, Adnan, that the Oilers have been more disappointing under the best player in the world, which Connor McDavid is, despite the fact that Austin Matthews just won the heart, than the Leafs have with Austin Matthews. Yeah, that's why, Ben, the context is so important, right? Because I, I remember my, my eldest was asking me at the Bills, and I can't believe they lost four straight Super Bowls. Like, what, what must have that have been like? And I said, well, they're really only like favored in one of them. Like the first one, like, yeah, I think they're going to win this. The other games, it was just an accomplishment to get to the Super Bowl. So I know it looks like, oh, my God, how could you not win one? But honestly, it was a remarkable achievement to get to four straight. So similarly, with regards to Leafs, it's really easy to go, man, what kind of a, you know, such and such franchise is, you know, that abysmal that you can't have some playoff success. You can bet. But look at the matchups each time. Like, yes, other disappointments. Yeah, should they beat Montreal in the bubble? Of course. But I'm like, as you said, they're facing Tampa Bay. They're facing loaded teams. You know, if you look at it position by position, is it really a shock that they don't win if they're not favored? And I'm with you for Edmonton. You go, it, the, the biggest overarching argument is this. How can you have two of the top five players in the sport yep. and not really have a modicum of success? Right? That's what it comes down to. You go, hey, even if the other guys, no one's expecting their fourth line to be the greatest fourth line ever. But you have two of the top five players in the sport. If the rest of the offense is average, you're fine. The defense is above average, you're good. And if you have good golden, you should be okay. So I, I'm with you. I think if we look back, I mean, God forbid, could you imagine if David during his Edmonton tenure never really goes, never gets to a Stanley Cup final? Imagine that right now, and he ends up leaving Edmonton. Like, that'd be one of the great, you feel like it's a crime against humanity. You have this guy who's the next Gretzky, and he couldn't have any sort of playoff success. Like, it never quite dogged the avalanche, but you started to feel last year like, hey, it's getting close to put up or shut up. Like, when is McKinnon and this team really going to climb through? And they did so. And Tampa Bay obviously had their moment where Stamkos had to step up, and he did so. But when you're not even given that opportunity, I'm with you. You can really make the argument that Edmonton, when it comes to underachievement, yeah, we can bash the Leafs, but the Oilers are right there in the same conversation. Yeah, and, and McDavid, you got to give him credit for like single-handedly getting the Oilers through that first-round seven-game series against the Kings. What did he have? Like a hat trick in Game Seven. At least had a, a couple of goals um, in, a, in a narrow victory over the Kings. But yeah, it, it, I guess there's still a lot to, to be written in both uh, McDavid and uh, Matthews's career. They're playing tonight in Edmonton, Adnan. Maybe this is the answer that the matchup we're getting tonight. But what do you think? Well, like, what is your if you're just 
drawn up a dream Stanley Cup final matchup. Oilers Leafs is one that we all thought we we would see when, when both of those guys debuted, you know, half decade or so ago. What what is your dream finals matchup? Well, obviously the Leafs being involved would be amazing. And I think there is something to be said, Ben, for the thought that, hey, once they get out of the first round, they really could go on a run, right? Like I, I, anybody who watches them go, hey, if the Lightning is their biggest challenge, this juggernaut of a team, if they beat them, then, hey, why not the Bruins? Can they overcome? Why not Carolina or Jersey or the Rangers? But I think, listen, when you're the biggest <laughs> – when you are literally – I mean, they're Maple Leafs. I, I can't tell you many times I've met Americans who go, hey, explain to me the enigma of the Maple Leafs. Like, oh, no, I don't have enough time. They go, no, seriously, how could you be a team that loves hockey so much and since 1967 have not want to come back, okay, enough, enough. So, yeah, Leafs no-brainer because the other teams you go – Boston, to me, not interesting. Again, we've seen that last 10 years being in the Stanley Cup, winning the Stanley Cup. Carolina, probably kind of a cool story. Again, 06 wasn't that long ago, but Brendan Moore's done a great job coaching this team. They've been on the verge the last little while. Devils, again, the three of us remember those three cups. Hasn't been that long. I suppose the Rangers, because they haven't won a cup since 94. That'll be interesting, especially if Caden Panarin can shine. But again, of, of those likely options, Toronto really was the one that stands out. Now, in the Western Conference, you know, the... the the team that I find interesting right now is Vegas because all along I said Kane is going to go to Vegas. I kept hitching my wagon. I said either the Stars or Vegas and Vegas will get him. But then eventually, as we know, he chose where he wanted to go. And eventually the Blackhawks want to raise 88 to the Raptors. They're not going to alienate this guy. So, okay, he said the Raiders he wanted to go to, fine. And Vegas to me is, again, a team that I go, to me it's so interesting because they've had this great early success we think it's a great family, but is it really? Or is it just a bunch of fans who have been like, hey, these guys are awesome. Like, we have a hockey team in Vegas, and all of a sudden they're good. But that Pacific division is so tough to call. Like, them and the Kings are neck and neck. I think the Kings have to make a move. I would have said prior to Blake breaking the news that they've got to get Jacob Chickren mm-hmm. to beef up that defense. So Vegas and LA are tied. The Kraken have really slipped lately. The Oilers are tied with them at 72 points. Calgary is not going to, you know, challenge down for that division. So I try to look at easiest paths. And I look at that Pacific, okay, is Vegas still a team that's enticing? Um, but again, I'm with you on Edmonton because of the other options. You look at the Central, Dallas being in the cup final, not really exciting. And I love Jason Robertson. I know he's slowed down a little bit lately. Minnesota, again, I look for the star players. Kaprizov in the Stanley Cup final would be fun. Avalanche, we just saw them a year ago. But ultimately, if you're saying McDavid versus Matthews, Toronto, Edmonton, I know ESPN or Turner would have a heart attack. Two Canadian teams in the Stanley Cup final. But yeah, as a hockey fan, it'd be special. Yeah, give it to me. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. Um, and I'm excited for tonight's game, which you can watch on Sportsnet uh, and you can hear on uh, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, let- let's talk a little baseball here because Ricky Tiedemann, um, he-, he he started his Cy Young uh, campaign uh, yesterday by uh, striking out a pair in-, in a clean half inning for the Blue Jays in his spring training debut. This is the Blue Jays' top prospect. He reached the the heights of double A a season ago before he was shut down because he reached his innings limit. And he's only 20 years old, and he's only pitched those 11 innings in double A. He's way older than Painter, and and everyone's getting excited about Painter maybe making the jump. Yeah, so, I mean, my question to you, Adnan, is this guy who throws 100 miles an hour from the left side and, and might be able to get major leaguers out like today, and who knows what the future holds for him as far as health, and we wish him all the best, but like... And I, I'm not advocating for the, him to break camp with the Blue Jays, but like, if, if he's capable going down to Double A AA or Triple A, where, 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 where would you be comfortable in in the Blue Jays calling up a 20 year old who has limited experience outside of uh, High A? 
Yeah, it, it's tantalizing for all the reasons that you said, but it kind of follows like this Blue Jays hype train, right? Like Vlad Jr. was the top prospect in the game. He comes up, was, you know, 19 years old, took a little while, but away we go. Alec Mano is supposed to be great, and he has delivered. Now, Nate Pearson was a guy where like, hey, here we go. Here, Pearson, all the rest of it has not worked out, and now challenging for a bullpen spot. So it's just... I get hesitant when I think of a heavily hyped pitcher. I go, well, I hope what happens to Tiedemann is not what happens to Pearson. But, of course, you know, every situation is different. The bottom line is this. This Jays rotation is going to need seven or eight guys, right? There's no question at some point. Because you look at Manoa. He had a very rapid rise to the major leagues as well. That's an example that you don't necessarily have to have the slow buildup. And Tiedemann, last year, 217 ERA across three levels, ending up in A. And I've asked major leaguers my whole life, and they've always told me, in a lot of ways, double-A is harder than triple-A. Because double-A is all these stars kind of colliding. And if you can dominate there, you can quickly jump up to the majors. Triple-A is veterans still hanging on, rookies trying to figure things out. Double-A is actually where a lot of guys are really kind of hitting their stride. So I think for Tiedemann, he's got to build up that workload. We know that everyone's going to focus on his innings. Ideally, he'd throw 120 innings in 2023. As you said, he's not going to break camp. But there's a situation where there's an injury or two and they need that depth. Like, why wouldn't you? And, and I get it. He's young. You have to be careful. I'm not advocating he's a guy who's going to be taking the ball every five days and throwing 150 innings. But 12 pitches, nine strikes, two punchies. Like, there's a reason why, as a 20-year-old lefty, he looked great. He struck out bias with, like, a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Like, look, it's just easy stuff. Like, that's what you look for, these young pitchers. When they're not even using max effort, that's why it becomes so tantalizing because you can imagine, but wow. It looks so easy to him. Imagine if he could actually, you know, learn the craft of pitching and being given that kind of tutelage that you'd get at the major league level. But I think for the Jays right now, just enjoy it and, and figure out where this young man's going to end up. And, you know, the major question right now of the staff is, you know what you have in Manoa. You know what you have in Gosman. You really got to hope Jose Barrios turns things around. I mean, when anybody I talk to this Jays, they're like, man, I really hope Barrios figures it out. If he can be legit what they thought he'd be, then all of a sudden you don't have to worry about when Ricky Tiedemann is going to come up. It'll be sooner rather than later, but you can just kind of take your time. Early returns are great. Uh, he had that sinker looking pretty good in his first outing. The platinum hair that is synonymous with the Puerto Rican <laughs> World Baseball Classic team looks great. Uh, Adnan, the next time we talk to you, the World Baseball Classic will be underway. Uh, what's kind of top of the list of things you're looking forward to as, as we head into this one? Is it as simple as uh, the Dominican lineup could have like nine MVP candidates in it or is it uh, something a little more niche uh, that that you you know need uh, that itch scratched? Uh, I'd love to tell you I'm really locked into Great Britain's uh, bullpen, <laughs> but that's not where I'm going to go. Uh, my buddy Mark DeRosa of course is a great job at MLB Central. He's the manager of Team USA, so just on friendship alone, I'm hoping that Dero does an awesome job managing we would hate to lose him at MLB Network. You guys know how talented he is, how smart he is. So I think he's kind of dipping his toe in the managerial waters. And if things work out, who knows? Maybe he could get a job uh, in, in the majors somewhere. But I'm curious as how D-Row does that Team USA because their, their position players are tremendous. So you've got your Mike Trout, your Mookie Betts, and all the rest of it. But their pitching, it's a little thin. Like There's not a lot of stars in there, especially after Clay Kershaw dropped out, Nestor Cortez unavailable. So I'm curious what my man D-Row can do with that USA pitching. You're bang on about the Dominican Republic. I looked at their lineup. Two through seven is ridiculous. Every single one of those guys could be hitting third. So I can't wait to see what the Dominican can do. Obviously for Canada, I hope Freddie Freeman matches. We can pull off a couple upsets 
at the very least, I love that Freddie was playing for Canada. And again, for those that don't know, I watched an interview with him the other day. As he said, he goes, my mom and dad both came. My mom died when she was 10, when I was 10. So he said, it's a, it's a way of honoring my mom and it's so special for her. So we love Freddie Freeman. Hope he does well for, uh, for all of our Canadians. And I think, honestly, just as a baseball fan, every time I watch Team Japan, I learn something. I go, God, they're mm-hmm. so fundamentally disciplined. And you don't have to know all the players. Of course, Otani just hopped on a jet yesterday. He's going to Japan. And specifically, I will be excited to see Otani pitch. But I just find that Japanese team, Tim Kirchner told me one time, he goes, look at how smooth they turn double plays. Look at how they cut the bases with their base running. Like, if you're a real baseball nerd, you love watching Japan play baseball. So there's a few things. I'm with you, Ben. I, I can't wait. March 8th can't come soon enough. Oh, yeah. Any chance you can uh, watch Shohei Otani, I think, is an opportunity you should absolutely take advantage of. Uh, Adnan, uh, great to chat. We will uh, talk next week, buddy. Thanks so much, fellas. We'll talk cocaine bear next time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I guess. Yeah. See you, man. I I haven't seen that one yet. A couple small things out of that one for you, though. Um, First is that uh, the most disappointing thing about in spring training, one of the things I get most excited about is the new out of the park baseball game because I'm a giant nerd and, yeah, yeah. and that'll come out sometime this month. Okay. Um, but they have lost the licensing deal with Japanese baseball. So for the first time in forever, Japanese baseball leagues won't be in it and there's no like players getting posted and you trying to sign guys from over there. I don't even know if I, I'd imagine it's just fake players in the World Baseball Classic. Disappointing. Uh, the other thing is. Jeff Hoffman actually just signed somewhere the other day. Oh, yeah. He landed with the Twins on a minor league contract with three opt-out dates for him. Uh, Actually had a pretty good year last year before he went down with with elbow stuff. Um, He was with Cincinnati, if you don't remember. 117 innings over the last two seasons as a swingman and an ERA right around four. Well, you know what happens is that you get injured when you throw a baseball. And that's Mm -hmm. why you're talking about Andrew Painter, who's like painting with 100, who's 19. Um, he had a few more innings in the minor leagues last year than Ricky Tiedemann, but only a few more. And he is like, the Phillies are like, yeah, no, go ahead. Compete for the fifth job. And if you earn it, then you will pitch in the major leagues, not on opening day because you'll be the fifth starter, but you will crack the major league roster out of camp, which is when mind blowing a guy who's looks capable of getting major league hitters out and has has not pitched i don't believe in triple a i think he maxed out at at double a last year yeah i did at reading and is basically doing the same thing that that ricky tiedemann's doing is throwing super hard and getting people out and all he's done is get people out and is a first round pick like yeah that is kind of eye-opening that the idea that oh well he of course would be out of out of this world to have ricky tiedemann break camp with this blue jays team come end of march early april that's insane they're obviously not going to do that and they won't but man why not like and and adnan rightly brings up alec manoa who made three triple a starts before the blue jays called him up in may who was four years older than tiedemann had the college experience as well but you just you don't have these guys for forever. No, the worry is you know the Nuklelouch situation where doesn't uh, know where it's going. Yeah, or or mentally you're just not ready for the the rigors of Ten major league head. baseball and uh, the ups and downs. Yeah, meat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of meat, a guy who turns everyone's chest into hamburger meat, WWE Intercontinental Champion Gunther will be here. Oh yeah, WWE's returning to Toronto on the road to WrestleMania this Saturday at the Coca-Cola Coliseum, and we're giving away tickets this week. All you have to do, tune into the fan drive time, listen for the code word, and then text that code word to 59590. 
and you'll be entered for a chance to win a pair of tickets to this awesome event. Maybe you'll even see Ben Ennis there. Today's code word is Gunther. Again, that's the Intercontinental Champion. It's G-U-N-T-H-E-R, Gunther, if you don't want to pronounce it properly. Uh, so you can text Gunther or Gunther to 59590 for your chance to wear a pair of tickets to this amazing event. I'd imagine you'll see that Intercontinental Champion at Imperium there. You'll also see Roman Reigns face off against Sami Zayn in a rematch from Elimination Chamber with the undisputed WWE Universal Championship on the line. Uh, lots of other live action from some of WWE's greatest superstars on the road to WrestleMania. We're giving away one last pair of tickets tomorrow, so be sure to tune in then. Ben, uh, are your kids aware of this event? Are they bugging you to take them yet? Um, they aren't aware, but only because I haven't told them about it. Uh, and they, they also, you know, they're not really plugged in. Do they not listen to the program <laughs> to, to use your pronunciation? <laughs> no, they they don't. But yeah, I... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in negotiations about per, perhaps uh, taking them to their first live yeah. WWE I event. Sent, I sent an email on your behalf in the in the last break. Oh, so thank you. Thank hopefully, you. Uh, hopefully something comes through there. All right, fingers crossed. All right, um, you mentioned it. It's not even a report anymore. Uh, at senators have tweeted it out. Trade alert: Sens have acquired defenseman Jacob Chikrin from the Coyotes in exchange for a conditional first round draft pick in 23, a conditional second round selection in 24 previously acquired from the Capitals, and a second-round pick in 2026. We will talk to Ian Mendes out of uh, Ottawa. He works for The Athletic. and get the lowdown on a surprise entrant into the Jacob Chikrin sweepstakes as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Again, Jacob Chikrin at the very top of the available players list before Friday's 3 o'clock NHL trade deadline. Frank Saravelli, guess what? Yeah. You were on with us. We joked about how often <laughs> you have to update that daily face-off list. Uh, I'd imagine Dom had to be woken up from his afternoon nap to get us new playoff odds, all sorts of stuff. There's no no rest for anyone Except for Kyle Dubas this last 24 hours. Yeah, but no doubt he's, he's grinding. Falling yep. behind, though, in the Ontario race. That's true. Jacob Chikrin headed to the Ottawa Senators for a conditional first-round draft pick in 2023, conditional second-round pick in 2024, and a second-round pick in 2026. Let's talk to Ian Mendes, who's in our nation's capital, working for The Athletic. How's it going, Ian? Hey, guys. It's, uh, you know what? It's nice to be at uh, trade deadline day, and, and Ottawa's actually acquiring players this is uh this is an alternate reality for us <laughs> it's it's awesome honestly and you wonder if uh like sliding doors whether it would be a different deal if even you'd uh, the, like you'd seen the senators split those two games against the red wings instead they they win them both like in impressive fashion and have now uh scored what 17 goals in their last three games like and those those were and you see the red wings do the opposite sending defensemen out the door do you i got 
I, I don't know if that's that's incorrect. Like, if, if the Senators don't win those two games against a team that's also battling for playoff positioning, are they making this move right now? It's a great it's a great question, right? And it's uh, there's an alternate reality to wonder if they lost both those games or split them. You know, does Pierre Dorian feel so emboldened as to you know trade his, his first round pick this year to to get immediate help? Um, it's a it's a it's a fascinating question, and it wasn't that they just beat Detroit. Like they they absolutely annihilated them as as our you know our pal Kyle Pekoskis tweeted out he said it looked like a tennis score six two six one in 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 back to back games and 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 I think you know for for Ottawa I, I and I asked this question of Brady Kachuk last night I, I I said straight up I said do you, did you as a group feel like you sent your general manager a message and you know Brady is a very um, I, 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 even though he's young he's a pretty skillful guy with the media stuff and he's like wow well, you know that's not really our job but one thing he said was this is really exciting for me. This is the first time that I've been in this position where we might be a buyer. And I, and I do think that there's probably a feeling of, Hey, we did our job. We, we beat Detroit two times. We've, we've won uh, eight of our last 11 games. We've put ourselves in a spot where look, a lot of things have to go right, but we're in the conversation. We're in the mix. We're with the Penguins and the Islanders and the Panthers and the Sabres. And like, we're right there. And, and when you look at it from a points perspective, uh, points percentage uh, standpoint, they're really right there with, with all those teams. So I, I do think that their, their recent success has helped uh, kind of facilitate this trade. And maybe these two wins against Detroit were kind of a definitive exclamation, uh, exclamation mark. We can get into some of the what Ottawa sent out and then, you know, maybe not having the price tag on, on Chikrin that we maybe expected because they were able to take on his entire contract. Um, something I love about this one for Ottawa is, you know, let's say they make this push and they don't make the playoffs. Well, first of all, the the pick, the conditions on the pick are it's top five protected. So you still get a little bit of lottery back end insurance that if you, you fall out of the playoffs and you get some lottery fortune, uh, you still get to keep that pick. The other thing, too, is Chikrin is only 24. He's about to turn 25. He's got two pretty affordable years left on his deal. And you look at this Ottawa team, whether they get there or not this year, they're two guys tied for the lead in scoring on the team are 21 and 23. Uh, Dabrinkat, Batherson, Shabbat, Pinto, Sanderson, all those guys are 25, 26 and under. Um, some as young as 20 already playing big roles for this team. I, I see Chikrin... You know, it's it's very clearly not a rental. He's here to be a part of this core. How much does this send the message to you, Ian, that if not this year, this team very strongly believes they're ready to come out of this lull period? Um, if not this year, then definitely next year. Well, it has to be. I mean, if you think about it, last summer, they traded their first round pick for Alex Dabrinkit. That was the seventh overall pick. And they signed Claude Giroux. Like, uh, and now again, you've traded your first round pick. These aren't the moves of a team that is saying, uh, you know, our, our window to compete is two years down the road or three years down the road. This is all consistent with a team that says, like, we're ready to win. And, and in an ideal world, they would push for a playoff spot, maybe get a little bit of experience. I do not think that, you know, if you look at this, in, you look at the way the Eastern Conference has really loaded up. They're still at the kids' table, right? Like, hmm. like even if they get in, they're not at that, that sort of head table there. But, um, you know, you, you bring in a guy who's, uh, I, think, I think Jake Chikrin turns 25 later this month or the mm-hmm. end of this month. And, but here's the thing. What, what Jake Chikrin does, he checks a lot of boxes. I think if you, if you speak to most 
uh, fan bases around the league. And, and every team is always clamoring for a defenseman, right? Every team's fan base is like, we just need one more top four guy. And you always say, you always hear from fans, you know, I want a guy who's young under team control for a couple of years with, you know, a salary that's reasonable. Well, that's Jacob Chikrin. And, and, and he does all of those things. Uh, it, what's going to be fascinating is now Ottawa's got, and Jake is a, a natural left shot defenseman. I know mm-hmm. he can play a little bit of the right side, but Ottawa's left side right now is Thomas Shabbat, Jake Sanderson, and Eric Brandstrom. Well, Jacob Chikrin is going to slide right in there. Uh, they're going to have to figure out a way to, you know, allocate those minutes or move somebody to the right side. That's going to be interesting. But he fits in in, in terms of age. He fits in in terms of uh, contract. And he absolutely, I think, accelerates this process in Ottawa where, okay, I think trying to make the playoffs this year remains a bit of a statistical long shot. It's probably they've got about a 20% chance of making it. But it absolutely plants a flag into the ground for next year saying, we're going to come into next season and definitively say we're a playoff contender. None of this sort of they, they danced around it this year. They're like, oh, we just want to play meaningful games. Like, forget it. You're now saying definitively you want to be a playoff team next season. Ian, hate to burst your bubble on the twenty percent. Dom uh, just tweeted that his his model now bumps them from five point six percent to eight point eight percent to make <laughs> the playoffs. You know, Dom, he's so cynical. That model is so cynical, and you know that that model, of is course, cynical, but. Yeah, three <laughs> percent by like one player having a three percent impact is actually kind of massive, isn't it it? it? it it certainly is, and it shows you how tight these margins are with Buffalo and Florida, uh, Ottawa, Pittsburgh, Washington. It's very, very tight there. Um, Ian, I guess it, it, with respect to those margins and continuing to push in here to try to grow that eight point eight percent to twenty percent or something like that, um, could you see this uh, setting off a, a few more moves? For Ottawa between now and Friday, they'd kind of been uh, laying in the cut a little bit before this move. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, when they traded Nikita Zaitsev uh, about a week ago, it I think it seemed a signal that they were going to do something. Uh, I don't know what else they need right now, to be honest. The only other thing, I mean, there's two other things. Every team needs something. And certainly, no, they're a perfect you, team. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't be sitting out of a playoff spot if you didn't need something. Uh, what, what they probably would, would need is either a little bit of insurance in goal. Uh, that's because, you know, Anton Forsberg, who uh, has been pretty reliable for them, he's out for the rest of the year with, with uh, a pair of knee injuries. Uh, Cam Talbot has kind of battled some injuries too. So they're really running with, with Talbot and Mad Sogard, who's a, you know, a 22-year-old, just a, a terrific young prospect, but he's got fewer than 10 games of experience in the NHL. And if you really want to, kind of go on this sort of magic carpet ride into the playoffs, you'd like to think that you might need a little bit more insurance in the crease. So, yeah, that's one area where I could see. And then the other thing is they've played most of this season without Josh Norris. And Josh is a legitimate top six forward. I don't think they're going to be in the market to add another top six center, but I could see them kind of getting into that middle. You know, Nick Bukestad's the name. And, in fact, I was wondering if they were ever going to get Chikrin. Is there a way they could have pried Nick uh, Bukestad out of uh, Arizona as well. Just kind of that guy that's a classic third liner, you know, in the same way that, you know, for years at the trade deadline, you'd see like a Nick Benino just kind of get moved around. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of what they need right now. They need someone to play behind. Timmy Stutz is the legit number one. They've got Shane Pinto in the two spot. Uh, could they get somebody to, to play at the, the number three center? Uh, Ian, all this um, with the specter of new ownership, uh, surrounding this this team, right? And like Gary Bettman, I'm sure would love to see this team go on a run here and get into the playoffs and boost that purchase price up. Like, 
is is there is there anything Pierre Dorian can't do or that he would be, you know, strongly persuaded not to do? Ask what you want to ask. Did Ryan Reynolds have his <laughs> finger on the right. trade machine button with That's this true. one? Oh, man. Yeah. You, you, you wonder about that. No, it's a fair question, right? In fact, yesterday, Austin Watson kind of, uh, you know, openly mused to us at, at his locker stall. He's like, you know, I, it makes you wonder, you know, without, without uh, you know, clarity on ownership. Are they allowed to sign guys? Or, or what can they do? And, and, and it's a fair question. Look, I think, you know, bringing in Chikrin's term and contract, that was something that I think made sense for everybody. I don't, I don't care who the owner is. I think that just that deal makes good business sense. Uh, where I do think that there might be a little bit of hesitation and a good example would be uh, like, would, would Pierre Dorian right now have the green light to give Alex to bring cat his, you know, eight year extension at, you know, whatever it is, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, whatever it is. That's the type of thing where I'm like, I don't know that you would necessarily have the green light for that. Just given, uh, you know, the implications that are involved, that's, you know, probably North of $60 million to get Alex to bring it back long-term, but shorter term deals, things that are, you know, maybe have two years in, in, in term and, and 10 or $15 million in real cash. I think that clearly he's got the green light to do things like that. Uh, but, but it's, it's absolutely a, a fascinating backdrop to, to all of this, that this team is technically for sale and uh, there's a new owner certainly waiting in the wings. And I guess if you're a new owner, how exciting is this for you that uh, you should have uh, what appears to be the semblance of a ready-made, uh, roster that could challenge for a playoff spot, uh, you know, as early as next season. Yep. Uh, I guess the Coyotes are hoping it's as early as this season because, like, that second becomes a first if they go to the Eastern Conference Final this year, which would – I don't know what the odds are on that. It seems rather low. But, yeah, that is one of the conditions of, of one of the draft I don't picks. have those handy <laughs> other than to say uh, we'll need a couple decimal places I, to make it worth talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Ian, oh, man. Uh, Ian, uh, exciting times in, in Ottawa. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, you got it, guys. My pleasure. Ian Mendez out of The Athletics. So Jacob Chikrin finally on the move after a couple of different deadline seasons of expecting him to move and a couple of weeks of sitting in the wings waiting to be moved, and he goes to Ottawa. Nobody expected that. So it's a little bit of a weird spot to be in because it's a good senator's move. Mm, Yeah. And that's a hard thing to parse after the last couple of years. I mean, better lately, certainly. I, I just laid out all the 25 and under and 26 and under pieces that they have. Um, they're, they're moving in the right direction. But it's a little odd to to be like, yeah, not, not the good move for the Senators. At least the Canucks, like, did the good moves and then immediately were like, no, no, no. We're the Canucks still. Yeah. Um, maybe the Senators will do something hilarious before Friday to, to just kind of make everything feel better again. I guess, yeah. No, this one feels like maybe not a steal because they're giving up a first-round pick. and I, yeah. I think it's pretty good value for a 24-year-old with two affordable years left. And I think, you know, everyone's reaction around the league, at least parsing Twitter and, you know, talking to the guests we've talked to, seems to be that, A, Ottawa being able to take the whole contract on no problem, helped lessen the asset cost a little bit. And, yeah, maybe the there's something there that needs revisiting about the King's discussions with Columbus and and why that price for um, Gavrikov and, and Corpusalo was not routed toward Chikrin instead, and maybe it's as simple as you know the asset cost goes down so much when you you need or the asset cost goes up rather when you need uh, salary retained. Um, but it does look uh, it does make that King's deal, which 
didn't look awesome, uh, look a, a little more questionable now. Well, yeah, and there was salary, obviously dumping Quick's mm-hmm. salary was, and Quick is an asset, right? Like, I don't think he's going to return a first-round pick, but yeah. Oh, the, I would say he's a, on that contract with how he's performed. Well, I, with 50% retention. Sure, but the 50% retention is a part of it. Like, I, w- I would say at 50% retention, he's he probably becomes a slightly positive asset, but without retention, like that's a negative asset. Like they had to pay more to get off of him because that's the equivalent of getting Columbus to, you know, retain salary. We're also in a very bizarre situation where like, I don't think anything untoward is happening, but if you were hat, if you owned a tinfoil hat and you were putting it on your head, you would say that the NHL really wants the Ottawa senators to do really, really well right now. Because again, that team is going to be sold in the not-too-distant future. Well, that that's what makes Arizona as a trading partner so interesting because the Coyotes are basically not in the NHL at this point. No. They may as well not be. Like, they're... And, and yeah, I saw... I forget who had it, but there was a, a Leafs Twitter person. Maybe it was John. Um, John. <laughs> very specific. Oh, uh, John. Yeah, John. Uh, my buddy, John. Um no, but like the joke that at least uh, at least Chickren's used to playing in eight thousand to playing to eight thousand people. I don't know if I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. I know there are other issues to to resolve with that franchise, but I'm I'm pretty excited about the young group and the aggression here. Even if you know, like Ian said, they're still at the kids' table for now. Um, at least they're getting like first turn up the buffet line from the kids table yeah and they're close enough to the adults table that they can hear the conversation yeah right? you get the odd swear word and... <laughs> all right again jacob chikrin on the, the other tinfoil hat thing what the easter conference is just coordinated together to just blow up the playoff format and, and we're gonna have to go one to 16 next year because this is so comically imbalanced and it's getting more imbalanced by the trade yeah the senators would win the west uh, probably not to that degree but like Probably be a playoff team or at least be... <laughs> they're right. almost a playoff team in the East. So yeah. yeah. Like, like if, you're, if, you're if, telling me they're not better than Nashville? Well, I mean, if, and if you're telling me that the, the Flames shouldn't blow it up and the Flames should still keep pushing pieces to the middle of the table, that's the same point difference. And there's a couple of teams in between them mm-hmm. in the postseason, but five points back at the second wild card in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, my, my argument there would be that Calgary has a better chance of actually doing something if they get into the playoffs. That's not to disparage Ottawa, who, again, I like this move for, like where they're headed, but the gap between Boston, Toronto, Tampa, Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers, mm-hmm. and those teams fighting for scraps in the East is pretty significant. Uh, so Leafs in Edmonton tonight to play the Oilers on Sportsnet. Sportsnet 5-9 the fan, a fan, 8 o'clock on Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey. No word yet, I don't think. I haven't seen whether Jack Campbell's going to play in tonight's game. I know there was like a little, some coy conversations being Subterfuge. had. Subterfuge? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and Jack Campbell being all Jack Campbell-y about it. Um, no, I hadn't seen uh, an update. Stuart Skinner is the projected goal. Oh, okay. So then, then yeah. Well, and he is their de facto number one. Um, I don't know. They've gone back and forth and signed him a new extension. But yeah, and, and Jack Campbell has the big contract, but... They're just in, like, who's given us the best chance to win a hockey game mode, and at the moment it's it's Stuart Skinner. So, yeah. you know, he'll have a nice view from the from the bench as Maple Leafs will not have their full complement of uh, nine defensemen uh, maybe tomorrow night in Calgary against the Flames. Again, like, going back to what I said to, to Frank about Matt Murray's potential availability or having a little more information about whether Matt Murray will be available to you in the postseason – 
I think it's kind of crucial that he plays in tomorrow's game. Like if 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 you're not going to go out and get a third goaltender and and Matt Murray's not playing tomorrow, you're either pretty comfortable in starting or not starting or having Joe Wall back up Ilya Samsonov in a postseason series and one injury to Samsonov away from Joe Wall appearing in a postseason series or you're the one person on planet earth that's comfortable that Matt Murray will be healthy come the postseason. I think you need to to see Matt Murray tomorrow. And if not, then what is he doing on this trip? Right? Like why, why isn't he with the Marlies and playing? Um, they played this afternoon, I think actually. Yeah. It was a, it was a school day game. Yeah. Uh, nice, nice little win for them down at Coca-Cola Coliseum where again, WWE road WrestleMania on Saturday, uh, free one for you, WWE. Um, yeah, it's uh, like why if he's not ready to go by tomorrow, and, and maybe they were still evaluating it or whatever. But you know, if Joe Wall starts that game tomorrow, you question at least a little bit why it was Shalgren and Net for the Marlies today instead of Matt Murray on a on a conditioning stint. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I think yeah, I think you're right that you're going to see him tomorrow. Yeah, you'd have to, unless you're trading for a goaltender or, and man, would, okay, how about this? Would you be more comfortable as your backup going into the postseason? Jonathan Quick, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe winner, he with a sub-900 save percentage over the last five years as your backup, or Joe Wall, he of like the 930 save percentage in the AHL and pretty good National Hockey League results. If I take the salary out of it, take like the trade acquisition costs out of it, take the salary cap, all of it out of it. Who are you more comfortable with your backup in a postseason series? Jonathan Quick or or Joe Wall? Oh, um, yeah, I'm a crazy person. I would go Joe Wall because there's like all the data points we have are, are stronger. Now, again, though, I, I – <clears throat> threw out the idea of if if the NHL leaned more into the NBA style and the buyout style, uh, yeah, Jonathan Quick at the minimum as a buyout guy playing the, you know, the the Jeremy Lin slash Will Barton role. Yeah. Absolutely. But, Why not have both is what you're saying. Yeah, 5.6 million cap hit though and, and all the juggling you'd have to do. I guess that's the one thing of, the that would be the one argument for not activating Murray tomorrow would be Kyle Dubas always talks about if you have time, use it. And and if you have time to get more information, use it. And maybe, maybe, maybe there's just like one scenario out there where they don't want him activated for potential cap maneuvering and and nonsense. Well, the other Um, possibility that exists is them trading Matt Murray, right? Like, and then, yeah, him, like, not having to do the the LTIR shenanigans because, hey, he's not on this team, and also he's on the hook for the same cap hit next season, mm-hmm. right? Like, you have to give up an asset to do that, and I, I don't know, maybe it's part of a bigger deal, but, like, that's a possibility. Yeah, and this it's tough because this team has given up assets to unload contracts in the past. That's a... That's it's not like a first, though. It wouldn't be a huge asset, I don't think, to, no, to get but, rid of Matt Murray. No, and we'll see. But it did cost them, you know, they got a second back, but they sent out a first to get out of Mrazek. Yeah. Um, they sent out, I believe, a second in the Nick Ritchie deal, right? Yeah. Um, so the, it's but they not got a, the Labushkin back, though. Yeah. So. Um, you just don't want to make a habit of doing that because those are good trade chips, as we've seen. Those... Those two things could get you Jacob Chikrin almost. So, um, yeah. And then, like, if you are doing that, you know, then you start to relook at, 
well, why wasn't Jacob Chickren in the plans if you are able to get it? And I know that that creates the 2024, 2025 problem where their cap sheet is, is really difficult there if the cap doesn't increase. Um, but you could deal with that later with players who are 24 years old right now. So I don't know. There's a, it feels like so much has happened and there's still so much to figure out over the next two days or day and change. Yeah. Again, three o'clock on Friday, uh, the NHL's trade deadline. Time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. You got the Leafs in Edmonton playing the Oilers on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Sportsnet Leafs. Uh, mild favorites in this one. Minus 118 Oilers, uh, plus 102. Jake McCabe to score a goal. Fan plus 850. Um, Ryan O'Reilly plus 270. Connor McDavid minus, obviously, to score a goal, as he should be, because he has 50. Uh, minus 120. Five. Also tonight, we will see Kevin Durant make his Phoenix Suns debut in Charlotte. Finally. Against the Hornets. And naturally, the Suns on the road, massive favorites, 10.5 point favorites tonight against the uh, the Hornets. Uh, and that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game lots of pressure on that Suns team there's lots of pressure on Kyrie and the Mavs who lost again there the Mavs are one in four when Kyrie and Luca play in a basketball game the and one three win, one possession losses well and the, you know who the one win was against the Spurs yeah <laughs> tough, tough <laughs> not to beat the Spurs yeah honestly and because they're actively trying to not win yeah so that hasn't gone necessarily all that well um and yeah i think personally Kyrie's under a little bit more pressure because he's a free agent at the conclusion of the season and trending towards a situation where not even anyone can convince themselves that he is a winning player and helps you um if things continue to trend in that direction for the mavericks yeah, yeah. tons of pressure on austin reeves tonight uh, the lakers need that game in oklahoma city and lebron and ad are both out dude and and AD, I know had a nice game and a loss, but and I think we're headed towards a scenario where LeBron says, uh, "Yeah, I'm, I'm back to return." But why would I? Because we're not making even the plan. Well, I think until they're statistically eliminated, you're, they're still going to keep trying. Because despite all this, they're only one game out. Yeah, it's nuts. All right, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. At least I will. Blake will be on uh, Raptors broadcast. Uh, this has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis. Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the Fan.